beaming to your device directly from Krampus's workshop somewhere in Southern California. It's the Hollywood Horror Nerds, your number one source for news, speculation, and discussion exclusively for Universal Studio Hollywood's Halloween Horror Nights. And now to your host, Undead Ed and Krampus's little helper, Alvaro. Beautiful. Thank you, uh, Krampus's little helper. And we're back with our second episode of the Hollywood Horror Nerds. And uh, let me just start by saying happy holidays and Merry Christmas. Yes, to everyone out there, happy holidays. Hopefully you're catching this before the holiday. We're getting it in right under the barrel here. Uh, just barely a few days left. So get your shopping in now and maybe give us a list on your way to the mall. Exactly. As you're waiting in those long lines, although how many of us actually go into the mall these days? Yes, I've gone to the mall this year and it is empty. So yes. uh, it's a bad economy and there also is Amazon. So no one is shopping. <laughs> it's uh, all about direct shipping. That's that's the true horror is an empty <laughs> mall at Christmas. But enough about that. Uh, we are here to still talk about Halloween Horror Nights. Although we are going to talk a little bit about Christmas at Horror Nights. We have a kind of a three-pronged show for you today. Uh, this is going to be the first episode where we actually have a little news about next year's event in the 2024 Halloween Horror Nights at Universal. Just a tiny bit. Not too much has come out now. But uh, there's there's a few little nuggets that we're going to talk about. And then we're going to talk about we watched a few Christmas horror movies. We watched Gremlins, Black Christmas, and Krampus. 2015 or, version. The 2015, there's Mini Krampi. But we watched the 2015 Krampus, and we're going to talk about it. And then we're going to take a little walk down memory lane and talk about all the different Christmas experiences we've had at the Hollywood Halloween Horror Nights over the years. Yes, it should be an exciting episode. And who doesn't like Christmas and Halloween? Yeah, so get some eggnog, get your gingerbread cookies ready to go, uh, pull up a chair, and let's just get right into it. So first of all is news. And Alvaro, I believe this is actually going to be news to you because I've done all this research on my own. So yes, I will be reacting to this news just like all of you right now. Give us your live reaction. So if you remember in the last episode, we were talking about the monsters of Latin America. We said we would hope that maybe we would see a chupacabra maze or maybe they would reuse this space for something along that same theme. And that has now been confirmed. It is going to be another Latin American kind of theme in that area. The creative director of Hollywood Halloween Horror Nights, John Murdy, a funny guy he lives in ireland most of the year then he comes back here to set up the event for a few months in the fall and then he goes back to ireland to get ready to set up the event he writes it all out funny guy but anyways he confirmed on his twitter that as long as they're going to keep doing kind of the day of the dead plaza there at uh, hollywood universal plaza where they can get the tacos and they have the, the bunting up uh, they're going to also have a themed latin american maze to go along with it in that same space so we don't know what it's going to be, but we know it will be something along that, that line. Maybe it will be Chupacabra. Maybe it will be uh, something else. We don't know. But uh, Alvaro, do you have a reaction? That sounds amazing. I am most shocked about the fact that it's th the main guy is in Ireland and only comes here <laughs> for a little bit and yeah. then goes back. <laughs> yeah, I love about John Murdy. He's, a, he's an interesting character. He set up Halloween, Hollywood's, excuse me, Hollywood's first ever kind of horror walkthrough which i believe was the called the universal house of horrors which just featured all the classic monsters and this was back in maybe the 90s or even earlier and then he eventually that progressed into the van helsing maze and when they brought uh, halloween horror nights from orlando out to hollywood he was the one they picked to kind of do it and as the event has grown obviously his position has grown in importance from universal to such a degree that he can decide i want to go live in ireland most of the year and only come <laughs> back here for a few months right before the event starts 
Um, but he does all this setup. He, he does, he writes these several hundred page treatments for every maze. He's very detailed about what goes in them. And then every maze you see is his vision being executed. That's amazing. And I strictly remember the Van Helsing maze. That was the first one that I experienced as a kid uh, because it wasn't just for Halloween. It was an, it was just an everyday universal kind of maze. It was. I remember as a child going in there, and I think after one or two minutes, I was just clutching onto my mother and looking straight down and that, just walking through, face down the horrors of the maze. I was a little too young now, but now I love it. Um, I had the exact same experience, but with my dad. Yeah. I clutched to his back and just like clung to him yeah. as he walked through it. And that space eventually became the Walking Dead attraction, and right now there's nothing there. But who knows? Maybe in a few years they'll put something else in there. They most certainly will. I mean, these parks love, they, they, I'm sorry, they don't love, they hate to have dead space. Yes. Uh, no pun intended. <laughs> so that was our first little nugget of news. Not too much, but exciting to know. So yeah. we'll keep an eye on that. I'm sure they'll announce something probably in summer. They like to announce that one usually at summer, at midsummer screen. Once it gets a little closer to time yeah. off. Yeah. Uh, the second bit of news is more of a rumor, but kind of tied into the construction they're doing right now to put in a Fast and Furious roller coaster where the special effects stage used to be, kind of on the hillside there. Related to that, there's been speculation that they're going to be setting up a permanent area to have not a tent, but a more permanent building to house a Horror Nights maze or an experience or two. Mm. Uh, kind of in that area, I think. I wasn't totally clear on where it was, but there were some pictures online people had posted of this isn't going for the roller coaster. It's a slightly different area, but it was assumed this is probably what it's going to be for, which I thought was very exciting because, I mean, the events we have where they're in the sound stages, it always brings it to that next level where you have an actual roof over your head and they can control the lighting and all that so much more. So I'd love to see something like that happen. And as the event grows and brings in more money, it makes sense that they would want to reinvest into it in that way. And the fact that it's a permanent event makes it sound like it's going to be similar to how they started with the Van Helsing, where it was a completely closed off mm -hmm. space that they controlled absolutely everything to. And I don't know if it was because I was a child, but it was very scary. So I'm really yeah. excited for this. Yeah, we know they are experimenting with having more year-round horror experiences. They're opening kind of a year-round horror nights event in Vegas now, uh, either I don't know, a year or two. I don't know. It's been announced. Uh, I don't think they've announced the opening date, but it will be there. And maybe we'll start seeing more of that in our Hollywood Park as well. I don't know. That's an amazing experience. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. That's it for news. It's still a bit early in the year, so these nuggets are only leaking out bit by bit. Or end of year, if you want to say. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure next month we'll probably do a whole episode of speculation. We'll look at the calendar of what horror movies are coming out, what we think is going to come. Um, but for now, why don't we get into the meat of the episode, which is Horrific Christmas. Right. So we watched three horror movies. Uh, we're going to talk about them both in terms of what we thought about them as movies, what we thought about them as kind of a Christmas movie. Like, is, is this a movie that you watch at Christmas, or is Christmas just kind of incidental? Is it just in the background? And then, is this something we would like to see come to the event? Do we think it would? And would it be good? Alright. So we'll go in chronolo chronological order here. And the first is Black Christmas. Yes. So one thing to note about Black Christmas is that the first time I heard about it, I didn't think it was a horror movie because it, it has Christmas in the name. I was like, how scary can it be if it's Christmas? And then I watched it and then I was like, oh. Oh. 
This is not one you show to the kids. It's a, it's a fascinating movie. It came out, and I can see in uh, Krampus' little helper's notes here, that it came out in 1974. So this actually predates Halloween. It's considered kind of to be, by some, the first slasher movie. But having seen it, I don't know if I would go that far. I would call it more of a proto-slasher movie, where you can see a lot of the elements of what will become the slasher genre are there, but they haven't really congealed yet. And Halloween is where they kind of took those elements, really put them together, and really set it off. Um, it's, it's a bit of a strange movie. It's not like a horror movie you would see today. It's a little more disturbing than it is scary. It it's, feels a little too real. It's a little macabre. In terms it of really it. is. Um, but yes, you are correct. That it, it did actually inspire Halloween and Scream. And this film was actually shot, I don't know if you know this, it was shot in Canada. It shows because it looks very cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, our East Coast is also very cold, but this not one, like Canada. Not like Canada. Not this like was, Canada. This was shot in Ontario, Canada, and a lot of that snow is actually fake. That's funny. You could tell it was a cheaper production. It has kind of a, a Gonzo film vibe. I want to say, mm-hmm. uh, almost like you're just peeking into someone's home movies, which really adds to the creep level. And this is definitely a very creepy movie. So just if you're not familiar with this movie, and you may not be because it's a little more obscure now, uh, the plot is there's not too much plot to really go through. It's just there is a serial killer who kind of sneaks into the attic of a sorority house at Christmas. So the girls who are staying over the sorority house, there's not too many of them. There's like four or five. Mm -hmm. And he puts very creepy, very disturbing phone calls to their uh, answering machine. And not creepy like Scream, where he kind of interacts with them and plays weird little games. Just creepy like he's just saying creepy things and making creepy noises. And to all our listeners who were born in the 90s forward, this is during the time when phones didn't have caller ID. Yes, yes. It's a big uh, sequence in this movie where they're trying to find out where the call's coming from. Yes. Uh, Where they have to go to the police and the police officer has to go to the actual phone company to some, mm-hmm. I don't even understand how it works he has to go trace all the wires yeah and uh, this is where this actually isn't the originator of the of the term the call is coming from inside the house but it's one of the early examples of it where they, they figure that out yeah it was it was a very mechanical experience from what the the person in the movie was describing uh, he had there was a lot of dials as the call was coming in he had to trace and I was like wow that is that is weird. I'm I'm used to digital now. <laughs> yes, yes. He's like you have to keep them alive longer, not because the the technology needs more time to work, because the guy's actually running down rows of mechanical operations, has to mm-hmm. find the right one. He just needs time to do it. Uh, which I like that part of it. But as I said, the plot is very bare bones in terms of the actual horror element. Mm-hmm. You don't the the killer himself is not an interesting character. Again, he feels too real, mm-hmm. where this is just a disturbed individual who is killing. But it's not. It's not like Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees where it's someone you would want to dress up as for Halloween. Yes, it's not scary in that sense. You also never actually see him. You see bits and pieces of him. You see a hand. You see an arm. You see what look, his eyes. But you never see the completed person. Right. The focus is much more on the victims than the killer, which is also something that slasher movies, this is why I would call it a proto-slasher. Because I feel like in mm-hmm. a slasher, the killer is always a very prominent figure. He has kind of a... Uh, you understand what he looks like and he's coming to get you. And this one, he's more in the background, just creeping. And the movie takes a lot more time developing the character plots of the girls in the house and their boyfriends. And I actually thought the character work was rather good. It was better than you would expect for a movie like this. I like their little interpersonal dramas. 
Um, but of course, it all kind of resolves the same way, where he, he kind of gets them, and he gets a very macabre, mm-hmm. depressing ending, where he, the, the killer basically gets away with it, and they pinch the the wrong guy for it. Yes, um, one of the things that uh, that this killer has is he he doesn't have a backstory like a lot of the killers do moving forward, like uh, like Jason. Um, you never really know what what his intentions are. He just it just starts with him breaking into the sorority house and then starts killing. You never know like what's his name, who is he, what what's his story, why what what's pushing him yeah. for this. Yeah, it's just so unlike any horror movie that you're used to anymore. Again, because all these, these these kind of ideas are coalescing now. And you can see mm-hmm. this is starting something that's happening in the horror genre that is starting to change. Uh, I, I thought there were a lot of very interesting parallels with this to Halloween in particular. I thought one that really struck me as soon as you started, uh, Margot Kidder is in this movie, who you may know better as Lois Lane from the Superman films. That's right. Uh, the old Christopher Reeve, Richard Donner Superman films. She was also Marion in Indiana Jones. And this was not her first role, but it was kind of the first movie she was in that actually broke out and made some noise. I thought it was an interesting parallel to Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, also became a huge actress, obviously later in life, but got her start in Halloween. And it became her staple from then forward. Halloween Absolutely. Was she's still to this day, she's still doing Halloween movies. This movie was actually like, it had a lot of heavy hitters and a lot of people's careers started from this another, movie. Another interesting person who, another kind of parallel is John Saxon is the police detective who is Nancy's father, was also a police officer in Nightmare on Elm Street. That's so playing almost the same character in both movies, actually, which was pretty funny. Hey, when you know how to play a role, you're always kind of a little typecast every once in a while. There was also a lot of camera work that I recognize. This is where John Carpenter got this from for Halloween. There's a big shot. The first shot of the movie is from the killer's POV as he sneaks into the sorority house, which is very similar, of course, to the first shot in Halloween is the POV shot of the young Michael on the first Halloween where he gets institutionalized. There's actually for this movie a lot of camera um, harnesses were created specifically for those shots that hadn't been done before. The cameraman is actually wearing them as you see it from all those POV shots of the killer. Mm-hmm. Let's see. And then also, I mean, he puts the bodies show up on display later on. Uh, it's, a little, it's very macabre how he kind of arranges them uh, for people to find later. Another f- another thing that comes up in the Halloween films, it's just so clear that a lot was inspired, came from this movie. But Halloween just presents it in such a more streamlined, focused method, and it's scarier. I mean, this movie, it didn't scare me. It was a little troubling. It's like, I didn't, yeah. I didn't love watching it. I don't really recommend this movie. I wouldn't watch it more than once just because... It's not the same as the Halloween movies where you're kind of entertained. It's not fun. No, it is definitely not fun. And the way the bodies are displayed, it's a little too real. Yeah. And Uh, on a note about this being a little too real, this movie is actually pulled from theaters because not too long after it was released, Ted Bundy murdered two women in a sorority house in Florida. That's actually how he was eventually caught. Um, But they thought, you know, this movie, now this this is very much too real. And we can't have this in theaters, so it got yanked. And... Slasher movies going forward always have that unreal element where this is, it's too much, you know, it's the mortal killer, um, which makes it more watchable because you're not troubled by it. It yeah. still scares you, but it scares you in a different way that you can actually enjoy being scared. 
One interesting fact about this movie was when it was released in its native Canada, it actually was a blockbuster hit. But when it was released in America, it was a big flop. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the reasons that they attributed to this was because in Canada, the marketing department really went all out in trying to promote it. Whereas in the States, it kind of was second or third in line to what movie was going to come out. So it, it, not a lot of people actually know about this movie, to yeah. be fact. So it, it exists more as a historical curiosity. So I'd say if you, if you love horror movies, you love Halloween in particular, and you're interested in seeing where some of those ideas come from, I would recommend it to you. If you just kind of like horror movies, but you don't really care about the history, you just want to have a good time watching a movie, this is not one I'm going to tell you to put on. Yeah, it's, it's not... It's definitely not one for the kids. <laughs> and I'll say kind of our second criteria of how we're grading these movies today of is this a Christmas movie or not? It takes place at Christmas. There's Christmas decorations, but Christmas is very incidental to the plot. It's just that yeah. that's why there's not that many people in the house. Yeah. It could have been spring break or summer vacation and the plot wouldn't have changed. No, it definitely... The time of the year did not really affect it. The only reason that... It, there was lack of people was because it was Christmas time but right it's something else that in Halloween it feels Halloween is much more central to that movie if, it's, if, it's take, if Halloween took place on Easter it would not be the same movie it would not mm -hmm. be as good and you can't say that about Black Christmas yeah uh, the third factor, would this be a good Horror Nights attraction? Uh, no, absolutely not. I don't think so. <laughs> there are not enough scares in this movie. Um, there's a few shots I thought were good. There's one shot. Uh, some of these POV shots are good at the beginning. Um, but there's not enough kills. There's not enough action. And again, you never really see the killer. So it just wouldn't work. Yeah, you can't be scared. I mean, yes, you can't. you can definitely be scared of what you don't know. But it's really hard to translate that into an attraction. Right. When it's an attraction where you expect something to be jumping out at you every few minutes, yeah. you need to have something more than just the eye through the door, which is a very creepy shot. Mm -hmm. That is the, probably the best shot of the movie where she goes in to the upstairs bedroom. She finds uh, her, her, the murdered people, and she sees the killer's eye. You see only his eye looking through a slit in the door. Mm -hmm. And But uh, beyond that, none of the moments really stand out. Oh, this was a really scary moment that you could recreate in person. That would be fun to walk through the only non-murderous thing that was kind of scary kind of funny was if you remember the house mother in all the different places she hit her alcohol right the characters of the victims i think were the strongest mm -hmm. part of this movie more so than other slasher movies you really kind of understand who they are what their motivations are what their struggles are mm -hmm. and they do and i mean i thought margot kidder in particular was was very good actually in her role also a bit of an inversion from other horror movies. The one who's supposed to be like the, the good girl who just have a boyfriend. Oh, uh, the she, final girl. You way. would expect her to be the final girl in most horror movies. And that's, of course, the part like Jamie Lee plays that part in Halloween. However, in this movie, she's the one who gets murdered right away in the first five minutes. Claire. Right. Yes. And then the Margot Kidder character, Barb, is the one who sleeps around. And uh, she just gets knocked off in the middle. Mm. And then the one with the steady boyfriend is the one who gets to go. I mean, they all end up, he gets all of them in this movie. Spoiler alert. But we don't really <laughs> recommend it. Uh, but it's an interesting movie. I don't know if it's good or not. Well, it's assumed that he gets Jess at the end. It's implied. It's implied. Because she kind of kills her boyfriend in a kind of, she just goes into shock. And uh, Well, to be fair, he didn't really help his case by the way he was acting towards the end. 
who who wouldn't have thought that he was the killer? Well, they do have a drama going on throughout the movie. Uh, she becomes pregnant, and he wants to get married, and she wants to break up. Um, so there, there's conflict, and that conflict is actually very, rather well done. It feels like a drama at times, and yeah. not an awful one, not a great one, but not an awful one either. Um, but of course, it just resolves, and then it's implied that the police leave the house because they think they have to go somewhere else. I don't remember exactly what happened, but they'll leave her there. And of course, we know the killer is still in the house, so we have to assume he's going to go get her. They're actually going to the hospital to take the dad of the first victim, because as they were finishing their case, the father, uh, I think he he suffers some medical as the adrenaline, you know, of everything just dies right. off, and finally, he's it's really hitting him. My daughter is dead. However, what I did notice is at the end, Claire, which is the first killed, and the house mother, Miss, Mrs. Mack, their bodies were still in the attic. Yeah, he puts them in the attic, and they're never found. And that also it adds to that creep factor of this movie, where it's almost too, it makes you like, ooh, it makes you feel a little gross yeah. watching it. Um, so that's all I have about Black Christmas. Do you have anything more to add, or are we going to move on? I think, uh, well, fun facts about Black Christmas. It okay, was good. actually Let's two. Let's the fun facts. Uh, there was to have been two remakes, one in 2006 and one, one in 2019. Um, it came out with a different name, Silent Night, Evil Night, mm. which totally makes sense. Uh, and I think that's it for some of those fun facts. Well, that was fun fact. That was <laughs> one fun fact. <laughs> well, the, the other fun facts is just that it's it's... It's very macabre. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, if you're trying to have a fun, scary, like a date night, not this movie. Absolutely not. Yeah. This is one you watch on your own as like a curiosity. Yeah. Oh, I guess one last fun fact. A lot of the moaning scenes from the killer are actually by the cameraman, and one of them, he's actually upside down as they're recording. Wow, okay. Yeah, so some innovative filming techniques, yeah. even on this weird little gonzo film. Yeah. Right, so we're going to go from a movie that we think was very much not fun to the exact opposite end of the <laughs> spectrum and talk about Gremlins. Gremlins, originally released in 1984. 1984. We like Gremlins, I think. I like it, but it is a bizarre film. It is very... It is an oddity. Something I always try to do when I watch a movie is try to understand what is this really about? Like, what is the director trying to tell us? What's, his, what's their worldview? Mm -hmm. What's the theme? On Gremlins, I have no idea. It is all over the place. <laughs> I think the theme is, check out these really cool puppet effects we did. Yes. Oh, my God. The puppet effects were great. Uh, the storyline was a little, like, all over the place. Uh, but it, what I do like about it is that you kind of feel that the different puppets each have their own personalities. The puppets and the effects are why you watch this movie. Gizmo is so cute. I love yes. Gizmo. He's adorable. And then when the evil gremlins appear, I mean, they look so nasty, but not nasty in a way that you don't want to stop watching. I was like, ooh, I want, I want them to get those guys. Yeah. And actually, their their names are not gremlins. Gremlins is simply what the, the neighbor calls them. Mm. Their actual name is Mogwai. The Mogwai. Yes. I which mean, is, keep calling them gremlins. Which is actually, uh, it's from two Chinese words, Mog and Wai. And essentially, in one means mysterious creature or supernatural, while the other one means more of demon. Part of what I like about this movie 
we'll kind of go through my notes, which are sequential in terms of chronological, is this is a universal backlot movie where it's filmed on the backlot at those classic town square sets that you recognize primarily from Back to the Future. And they've come up in a few other movies. They're also in, off the top of my head, To Kill a Mockingbird. They're in Bruce Almighty. And I love movies that are filmed there, even though I know it's a set. Mm-hmm. It's a set that I know. I was like, oh, that's so cool. I don't mind knowing that a movie isn't real. I know it's not real. And I think it's cool that you know we've been there on the studio tour, of course. Several times. Several times. I, just, I love seeing that come up in movies. And now, I like seeing it here, too. Now, Ed, is this the set that were burned down during those Hollywood fires? I think, I think this set has burned down because I, I haven't seen it on the tour yeah. the last few years. But it's still iconic. It's very iconic. And you know it when you see it in different films. However, what's beautiful is how they the magic of making it look totally different even though it's the same. And this one, of course, is in winter, although I'm sure it was filmed in, like, July in Los yes. Angeles. So they're wearing winter coats, and I'm sure it's, you know, 80 degrees outside. It's amazing how special effects can do that. So the first part of this movie where he's going through and he just has gizmo, and you understand the three rules of the gremlins, that's pretty good. It, it, it tracks. Again, you don't really have a theme there. Mm-hmm. He's got a kind of a broken family. Not broken, but the dad's never there, and there's a lot of weird drama going on. Yeah. The Mogwai is originally acquired by the father from a store in Chinatown uh, you know that he's an inventor and he's just trying to find the next big thing and he feels that the Mogwai as a gift for his son will be great actually he didn't buy it as more of trick the little boy into giving it to him well he pays the little boy yes even he doesn't though... steal it but the old man doesn't want to sell it to him because he understands only the Mogwai comes with great responsibility. Yeah, we, are you saying that with great power comes great responsibility? I'm saying that with great Mogwai comes great responsibility. <laughs> Here's the th- iconic three rules of the gremlins. One, no bright lights. No bright lights. Two, no feeding after midnight. Yes. Three, no getting them wet. Yes. Because if you feed them after midnight, they create... No, actually, if you get them wet, they create evil clones. And if you feed them after midnight, they become uh, the scaly evil gremlins. Well, instead of the cuddly cute ones, they don't go. They don't turn into evil clones per se. They're perhaps a little more active. It doesn't. It isn't until they get wet. No, it isn't until they're fed after midnight that they go through the metamorphosis into the evil gremlins. Right, right. Before that, they're they're not. As nice like the Gizmo Gremlin is, but they're still the cuter, cuddly versions. Yeah, they look exactly like Gizmo. When Gizmo was wet, he produced about five. That, that's the amazing thing. One drop of water will produce about like five new Mogwais. Yeah, you know, it really doesn't seem that hard to not get your pet wet. I've had cats most of my life. I don't <laughs> think I've ever gotten them wet by accident. And yet this kid can't have his Mogwai for three days without getting him wet. And then he can't even follow the rule of don't feed after midnight. To be fair, he does get tricked by the evil gremlins into feeding them after midnight. But who relies solely on one source for time? It was the 80s. There was no cell phone to check. You have a watch. He did not have a watch. They were not that wealthy. (laughs) Uh, So that part, kind of, you follow that part, you understand what's going on. And then once the gremlins attack, the movie just becomes total pandemonium. 
That's when it really picks up. I mean, up. then it gets good because the effect, I mean, for what you're watching for is, oh, Gizmo's so cute. It's kind of like watching The Mandalorian mm-hmm. in the later episodes where it's not that good anymore, but Baby Yoda's <laughs> still cute, so you're still watching for that. Uh, and then you're watching just to see what are these crazy films going to get into next, and they get into some crazy stuff. They, they get into so many shenanigans, and the fact that they're able to quickly create a personality all of their own in such a short time period, because mind you, this is from when they go from Gizmo to multiple gremlins is one day, one night. When they go from metamorphosis into the evil gremlins to their demise, it's also only one night. So they really work with a short time frame. The gremlins are here for a good time, not a long time. They And you do, you're right about the personalities. There's that scene where their gremlins are all, they've taken over the bar. And every gremlin there has its own thing going on. Mm-hmm. There's like the gangster's doll gremlin. There's the beatboxing gremlin. Somehow they have tiny little gremlin revolvers. It's, it's ridiculous, but really fun to watch. Exactly. And the one hilarious part that I found about that scene was the barmaid was still serving She's still working, right. And she's one of our main characters. She is one of the main characters. And I was thinking about it. I was like, lady, why are you serving these mysterious monsters when you should be trying to leave like every other patron in this bar? And then uh, once the gremlins have attacked the town. And they're really, I mean, I knew this as a kid. I never watched it as a kid, but I've known it as a kid's movie. I don't know if I would show this to a young kid. I mean, these, these gremlins kill people. Like, they're murderous gremlins. Yes, which was one of my notes was like, did they just murder that family? <laughs> they murder a few people in this movie. And they're not like graphic, violent deaths, but they're they're deaths, like, yes. for sure. They're a little bit off scene, but you can tell, uh, especially the first couple, uh, they get murdered by uh, the, the guy's uh, heavy machine truck. They do. They run some people over. There's yeah. one character you kind of get to know who's uh, the school biology teacher who they kill pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, they also they kill like the the attack the human antagonist is kind of nasty rich lady in the town who yes. wants to put down the main character's dog because he wrecked one of her Christmas ornaments or something and they get her they they put her on a little one of those um, little chair you can put on to get up the stairs if you're a little older but they mm-hmm. said it's like max speed and she goes flying out the window with it and that's the gremlin's preferred way to get someone or to mess with something is to damage the technology in such a way that it could be construed as an accident because this is supposed to be like the gremlins of World War II, or you may know them from that Twilight Zone episode with William Shatner where he sees the gremlin on the wing. Mm-hmm. The gremlins were attributed to any time there was a mechanical failure in the Royal Air Force on a plane, they thought it would reduce morale if you blame it on the ground crews, even though obviously it was probably the ground crew's fault. So they said it's not the ground crew, it's a gremlin when it did that. Exactly. And this way the soldiers would still feel camaraderie even though the ground crew screwed up. One of the things uh, of that nature that they did afterwards was, did you see when they cut the brake line? They do, yeah. <laughs> the police officer. They do. Mind you, these police officers were a little incompetent at this point because they had a little bit of eggnog. Yeah. I mean, this is it's a classic horror trope as well, where the police don't believe our main character that something's wrong until it's too late. Mm-hmm. By that time, the gremlins have taken over the town. So after they rampage through the town, they all go to see Snow White at the movie theater. 
this is another part of the movie. There's so many parts of this movie just kind of confound. Like, why is this here? Yeah. Why are they watching Snow White? I've never understood it. <laughs> and I've read some analysis online that big reaches about, oh, this is about corporatism <laughs> and it's an anti-capitalist thing and how Disney's so commercial, but I just don't see it. It's, That's it a feels reach. like such a reach. That's a reach, if I ever heard one. The themes of this movie are just all over the place. There's that our main character, the, the female main character, has this kind of terrible story about her father dressing up like Santa Claus and trying to come down the chimney but getting stuck and he gets stuck in the chimney and he dies in there and they find him like weeks later. Yes. Uh, that's awful. That's an awful story. Why is it there? It, it, it has was, no bearing on anything in the movie. It, it could have been cut and the storyline would have still it would made... It have been exactly the same. Yeah, it would have been the same. She has this whole thing where she doesn't like Christmas because of that. You could have cut that whole storyline about her not liking Christmas mm-hmm. out of the movie. I don't know why it's there. I don't know why they're watching Snow White. It could have been any movie, but they're watching Snow White. Part of my notes were like, why is Kate's story so tragic? It's so tragic. It doesn't make any sense. No. Uh, and then after they're able to burn down the movie theater with most, most of the Grillmans inside, there is, of course, the iconic battle in the department store mm-hmm. with the main evil gremlin, whose name is Stripe, versus Gizmo and our main characters. Where Gizmo's love of racing movies has him drive a pink little Barbie car to yeah. open the window and the bright light kills Stripe at the end. It's pretty good. Um, it's a fun movie. I like this movie. I would recommend it to pretty much anyone. I would say maybe uh, slightly older kids. I wouldn't show it to a very young child. Yeah. yeah. It's in, in 80s kids movies. The 80s kids were tougher. Uh, they could handle tougher movies. I mean, mind you, you could send your kids out in a day and then you wouldn't see them again until the sun was coming down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's, even as an adult, I think most people would like this movie. Even if you're not into horror, it's not so scary that you're not going to turn off. There's a few scenes that have a, kind of a horror tinge to them, but the Grimms uh, themselves aren't. Pre- they're presented more comedic. Yes, uh, especially those scenes where the mother is the first one to encounter them in the house, and she immediately goes for the big butcher's knife. Right, right. That kitchen sequence is... Fun. I guess that's a sequence where the gremlins are getting kind of cut up, mm-hmm. but it's not gory. It's funny. It is. Because they don't look like people. They look like little muppets. They don't bleed red. It's, they bleed it's a green, green, and they look nasty, so you kind of want them to get cut up anyways, so yeah. it's fun. Uh, one fun kind of horror tie-in is Corey Feldman is this movie who horror aficionados will know as young Tommy Jarvis from the Friday the 13th movies. So if you're a big Corey Feldman fan, uh, this one's for you. Yeah, he plays. I think one of the, the the younger kids. He might be the one who has the tree costume. I don't remember exactly which one he is. I don't remember. I don't recall. So we like the movie. Yes. Do we like it for horror nights? I say yes. I would a hundred percent agree that it's a great horror nights movie because you have so many different characters to work with. They do so much damage. It's it's great. It, it, the implementation wouldn't be too difficult, especially because a lot of people know of Gremlins. Two notes about why I think this actually might be a likely maze is I think the Ghostbusters maze we had a few years ago kind of opened the door to the idea that you're going to have a maze that's not super gory. I don't think Ghostbusters maze had any gore, which was true of the IP, and it was still a super popular maze. People didn't seem to hold that against it. And Grailmans could have a little more. I don't think Warner Brothers would be comfortable saying we're going to have a Grailmans maze and then Grailmans are just butchering people like the Chucky maze. They would want it to be a little more just PG-13. But I think Horror Nights can do that. I think it can pull it off. Oh, definitely. And we just had the Chucky Maze last year, which had a ton of tiny animatronic skeletons created to be those Chuckies. And one thing about Horror Nights is they love to reuse. 
So I think those little animatronics, they're going to want to bring them back for this year. So I think we're either going to see a Chucky repeat, have an original with something little, or it might be time for a Gremlins maze. I hope it's Gremlins. I think Gremlins. There were a ton of scenes as I was going through it, I was taking notes. I want to see this scene at Hornets. There were so many I thought would be great. You start off in the Chinese Chinatown shop mm-hmm. where they buy the Mogwai in the first place. It's such a great sense of place when you watch that scene. It'll be so fun to walk through that. Maybe with the voiceover in the background. Kind of like if you remember the Pandora's box mazes we had a few years ago. The first scene was this kind of curio shop. It would be similar to that, but even elevated because it's actually tied into the movie. That would be great. The scene at the school lab where the Gremlins attack the teacher, that's structured oh, yes. like a horror movie. That would be a great uh, horror night scene. They could jump out at you from somewhere. Uh, the whole concept of the Gremlins are causing accidents. If they want to go a more original, that could create a lot of cool original scenes mm-hmm. where, oh, it's a kill, but it looks like an accident. But then you see the Gremlin comes and gets you from the other side. Yes. So a lot of potential there. You could do a lot of fun with water effects, which are some people love them, some people hate them. But you would have to have you have to get sprayed by a gremlin at some point if you go through this as a maze. You have the tractor and people over. You'd have to have the bar scene as the centerpiece that you can walk through and see all these different kinds of gremlins. It wouldn't be a gremlin's chaos. maze without the bar scene. Right. They've been doing more lately with kind of these movie screen effects, and again, gremlins would be a great tie-in to that because, um, of course, there's that iconic movie theater scene i don't think you're gonna get the rights to snow white but universal can throw woody woodpecker up on there and you would have the chainsaw grillments at the end at the department store and horror nights loves nothing more than a good chainsaw that would be an amazing walkthrough to go on so i think would be a potential for like an a plus maze and i think it's it's always tricky with these things that aren't universal properties that they're going to have to license out because mm. Warner Brothers just might say, we're not pushing Gremlins right now. We're not interested. Yeah. Uh, we do know Warner Brothers took a few years off from being at Horror Nights to do their own. It was called Horror Made Here that we actually attended. We liked that one quite a bit, but COVID kind of shut it down. I don't think they're bringing it back. I think they... And they were back at Horror Nights last year with Evil Dead Rise. So yes. from what we can tell, it seems like the door is open again to these Warner Brothers properties like Gremlins. And I think Gremlins would be a great fit for the event. I would say it would be amazing. And here's to hoping. So our last category that we're judging these movies on is, is this a Christmas movie? This one's trickier. Because uh, it definitely has a lot of Christmas stuff in it. Yes. The setting is very Christmas. There's snow. There's decorations. They're trying to buy a Christmas tree. The present. The, the Mogwai itself is a present. And yet, it doesn't have that Christmas spirit about <laughs> it. <laughs> Nothing in the plot or the themes other than the awful story that, that the, our main female character tells yeah. us is Christmas-related. And you get that, that neighbor with those off-the-cuff comments every now yeah. and in a while. And you're just like, whoa. This is a movie I would rather watch at Halloween. I think that suits it better. I think that would, that would be a better time to watch it. Just because of the whole idea of the gremlins are in, in things causing havoc. Right. Which is something you're more attuned with Halloween of the whole trick or treat. Right. A Christmas movie, I feel like, needs to have some element of Christmas affecting the characters or affecting the plot, and this really does not. It's just a setting. Mm-hmm. So that's it for Gremlins. So watch Gremlins, but maybe wait until January or even October and make it part of your Halloween watch. So now we're getting to our third and final film that we watch, and of course, it's our favorite, Krampus. 
Krampus, my favorite German demon slayer. <laughs> <laughs> so to be clear, there was kind of a spate of Krampus movies that came out of Hollywood uh, for a while, or different projects that had Krampus in them. This is the 2017 version. 15. 2015 version by Michael Doughty, I believe is his name, who also did uh, Trick or Treat. Uh, which you may know if you're a big horror fan. It's a great Halloween movie. Highly recommend that one. Mm-hmm. He also did more recently the Godzilla War of the Monsters film, uh, which I, I didn't love, but I liked. I uh, thought Krampus was better. So why don't you tell us, what, what did you think of Krampus as a film? We've seen this before. This is one that was a rewatch for us. I loved it because it had elements of old, um, specifically, uh, well, the whole idea of Krampus is the loss of, of the the spirit of Christmas mm-hmm. the whole idea that once you lose the spirit of Christmas that's when things really go bad right it's once what happens what triggers Krampus to come get the family is it's a kind of a classic it almost feels like Christmas vacation the setup of mm-hmm. it's this high pressure household that this family lives in already the dad's working too much the mom's such a stress basket the daughter just wants to go hang out with her boyfriend and the young son is the only one who really wants to have classic Christmas but even he's getting in fights with kids at school about that because mm-hmm. he's very he's a sensitive young guy so people hurt his feelings and he lashes out and then the cousins come with the aunt and the uncle and the aunt and the uncle are conservative in their Hummer and they have guns and the family there is liberal so they don't get along on that front yep. and they kind of resent each other because one of them has more money than the other of course and then there's the great there's the kid's great aunt they bring the nasty aunt who just wants to get drunk and she makes yeah. snippy comments she teaches them how to make uh, peppermint schnapps at right. that point she teaches the kids to make peppermint schnapps and everyone's making nasty comments everything's going wrong and after a big fight the young son who gets kind of humiliated by his cousins for believing in santa claus even though he's eight or nine years old mm-hmm. uh, he goes upstairs and he rips up his letter to santa and he privately makes a wish that the family would just go away and as we learn later on in the film when the christmas spirit dies that's when krampus comes to fulfill that kind of twisted wish of take my family away yeah so to do that, he kind of sequesters the family. It's a little unclear what exactly goes on, but from their point of view, they're sequestering this giant blizzard, this unending blizzard. They can't really go anywhere because it's too cold. And Krampus starts coming to get them, and he has you know demonic toys. He has evil gingerbread men. He has his evil elves. His whole army of people kind of set against them. Now, what I really like about this movie is you have that setup of this family that can't get along. It's just kind of nasty Christmas. But once they're isolated, once they're kind of put in that survival situation, or as I like to think of it, all the trappings of the modern world are stripped away from them, and they have no power, they don't have electricity, and they're just them and their family, and they have to rely on each other, they do rediscover that family connection. And by the end of the movie, uh, they really do love each other, they care about each other, and they, they've become a family again, kind of through this trial that they're put through. Yes, it's a, it's a very much trial by fire in a way. Because they, they have to go through this. They Essentially, they, they trauma bond. Yeah. <laughs> they definitely trauma bond because at the beginning, they, they have no idea what's going on. Uh, the first character to be taken is the eldest daughter as she walks out to go to her boyfriend's house. And they discover, hey, it's getting late and she's not back. Right. And as that really like triggers... Um, the onslaught of Krampus and him really making an appearance. The first couple scenes of, of it is just a 
just a blizzard, but once Krampus makes it into the scene, it really picks up. Right. It spends a while just like kind of get to know these characters and the tension builds for a while until the German grandmother who's with them reveals that Krampus visited her house when she was a young girl, kind of in post-war Germany, and there was a lot of depression, her family was fighting, mm-hmm. and she made that same kind of twisted wish, and Krampus came and took her family away. It wasn't just her family, I believe it was in the entire village. Yeah, he, he takes usually the entire village, seems to be what's yeah. going on, because they do go to another, they go to the boyfriend's house, and Krampus has clearly been there. He takes the snowplow. family. Um, so Krampus, it's a pretty wide encompassing yeah. Krampus attack, but we just focus on this one family. Yes. So the the grandmother then knows the rules of Krampus. She knows we have to keep the fire hot because once he comes down the chimney, it's all over. It's game over. It's that's it. Uh, one, so this is the only real insight into what's really going on. We get is from the German grandmother who acts like she can only speak German until it's time to recite the Krampus story and then of course suddenly she can speak English which the great aunt <laughs> takes, takes issue with and so did I it seems rude of the grandmother to, she, clearly she speaks English she just chooses not to well it could be the that, that um, essence of I feel a little awkward because my English isn't that great her English is pretty good for the Krampus story <laughs> feels like she memorized that one story in English and just that's all she can do now I think she's just being rude Though I found it hilarious, uh, and a lot of uh, uh, kids who, who grew up with uh, multiple languages will understand. The father knows German; he can speak it back to the grandmother. The child understands German, but only speaks English. Right. <laughs> That's uh, so. It's it's pretty fun. Um, and I'm getting. I mean, the main thing I like is that Jumping Into is just a Christmas movie. It really feels like it is a Christmas movie. It has. It's a horror movie, of course. Of course. And uh, a lot of these characters, well, it's ambiguous at the ending whether they're dead or not, but terrible things happen. But it does have that warm family feeling kind of by the end because they do come together as a family like they need to. And you feel like by the end of the movie they do love each other. And I like that. It's unusual in a horror movie, but not for a Christmas movie, but it's a good melding of the two. They discover what the real spirit of Christmas is. Unfortunately, it's a little too late. Or not. The ending is ambiguous. I'm actually curious. Well, how do you interpret? Because at the end, uh, Krampus is taking all. He, according to the grandma, he takes everyone and puts them in the underworld, except for the one who made the evil wish, and they're left as kind of a reminder. Uh, so the the young boy has realized now. I actually love my family. I don't want them to get taken away. So he goes and he finds Krampus putting the last cousin he has into this giant pit that leads to the underworld. It's all red comes out of it. And he says, I take my wish back, take me instead. And Krampus starts to laugh at him, and he throws him into the pit as well. But then we cut to the kid wakes up in his bed, and it's Christmas morning, and the whole family's there. They're all putting presents. They're all getting along. Everything seems great until the young boy opens one present that no one knows why it's there, and it's a bell. It's a bell that says Krampus mm-hmm. on it, just like one that grandma got uh, when Krampus came and took her family in Germany. And then it does a slow zoom out, and we see the house is inside a snow globe that Krampus is keeping in his lair. And I always kind of interpreted that as Krampus has let them return to their life, but he's keeping an eye on them. I wouldn't say that. I would think it was more like um, Groundhog Day, where they're just kind of reliving Christmas every day now. It could be that also, is now their Krampus has taken them and he's part of their collection now and this is they'll be stuck there. Yes. Um, but it's ambiguous. I feel like either interpretation is valid. I like mine because it's more narratively satisfying. Because mm-hmm. um, they've kind of gone through and they've learned their lessons and they become better people and now they can go through life, but they're always going to have kind of this memory. The only fault I have with your logic is the grandma never saw her village again. 
No, but she didn't go back to Krampus. She says when the Krampus attack happened in the 40s, she said, I just stayed in my bed until he left. The young boy actually goes and confronts Krampus and says, I take it back, and Krampus puts him in the underworld hole as well. Yes, but... So there's a difference. But you were saying that you thought Krampus is keeping an eye on them to making sure that they don't lose a Christmas spirit again. My understanding is, had that been the case, the grandma would have been able to see her family, like days later but she never mentions them having seen them well no i think the reason they're able to return to their lives is because the boy takes his wish back the grandma does not oh i see he doesn't get to join them that okay i'll give you that yeah i think both both interpretations are valid um i just like mine more because it's a nicer ending (laughs) i like a nice ending in a movie even a scary movie I think one of the the scariest parts of this movie is when that tree just bursts into Mm. fire Mm. During where they're taking the kid up the chimney. Yeah. There's so many great inversions of all the Santa element to expect. Mm-hmm. But now they've been horrified where he has different minions. He has three or four different toys, including the scariest one is this kind of Cronenberg snake jack-in-the-box giant thing that is quite gross to look at. Uh, but in a good way. In a way it that was. we like for a scary movie. <laughs> and he also has a little angel toy, an evil teddy bear, an evil robot toy. The evil toys are fun. He has a little army of evil elf minions they don't look like a christmas elf. they look no. like they're it's a very original design which i like they look more like a lord of the rings orc where they wear masks i have a note there's a scene where the elves just decide we're going to attack now and they come through the windows and it's a lot of close-up shots of them kind of attacking the camera and they're wearing masks and i'm like this feels like i'm at horror nights because yes. this thing's coming at me in masks which was fun one of the one of those evil elves gave me the feeling of more of a plague doctor yeah because the creepy masks. Yes, the creepy masks and also their long gowns, essentially what they were wearing. Because you wouldn't say that they're wearing pants and a shirt. It's more like a one-piece that goes all the way down, in a way. There's also, of course, probably the most iconic, it seems to come up a lot, is his evil gingerbread men. Uh, those are pretty fun. There's a great sequence where the uncle goes in the kitchen. He has to fight them off. And uh, you know, he has a shotgun, and they have a nail gun, and they have little knives that they're throwing at him. <laughs> and he's using, you know, kitchen stuff to defend himself. And if he's out of bullets, and the last one's lunging up with a knife, and he closes his eyes, and you hear a chomp, and he opens his eyes, and the family dog yeah. went and got it in midair, and he's chomping on it. That was one of the it's things scene. that I never understood from the uncle. I was like, why don't you just try to eat him? Well, the dog pulls it off. <laughs> and then in the next scene, uh, he says, I just got my ass kicked by a bunch of Christmas cookies, so I can believe a lot. <laughs> One thing, uh, speaking of the uncle, well, not strictly him, but after Krampus, is, all this shenanigans has started, and that the family knows they're essentially being under attacked. There's that scene where um, they're all sleeping by the fireplace, and then a chain comes down with mm-hmm. one cookie attached to it, and the, and the cousin, the male cousin, comes up to it and just snacks on the cookie. My question is, damn, that is such child behavior that they'll just <laughs> eat anything. Yeah. That, that's, he's, he's, a little, he's a chunky little boy, that one. <laughs> Howie Jr. Before that scene, the, the uncle, who's kind of, he's trying to be like the macho guy. He's played by uh, David Kochner, who you may know from The Office as Todd Packer. Or he was also, I don't remember the character's name, but he was the sports guy in the Anchorman movies. So he gets worried. He, I recognize this guy. He's a good actor. He's funny. Before that scene, he says, okay, we, now we've kind of realized we're under siege. We're all mm-hmm. going to sleep in the living room. He says, one of us should keep watch. I'll take first shift. And then it, cuts, <laughs> it cuts to him asleep. <laughs> he did not stay up long. 
He um, immediately goes to sleep. Um, he had good intentions. The father and uh, uh, the little boy's, the main boy's father and the uncle, they have a bit, they butt heads a lot because the father is more of a, um, I would say, more of a white collar. Um, yeah, there's a class difference. Yeah, it's a class. It's not just a class difference, but the uncle is very more like macho guns, and while the father yeah. is more like put together, like. Everything has to have its its the difference in attitudes. Right. And, but, and again, this is what I like about this movie is you see these characters who at the start hate each other. But by the end, they've become family. Yeah. Because uh, one of the things that the little boy asks his dad is, why are they here? And he's like, we just share DNA. Right. But by the end, they realize it's more. It's more than That's just really sharing nice. DNA. It's, yeah. it's a nice movie, actually. <laughs> Uh, it's also uh, a funny movie. It's definitely, it definitely funny. Has, I mean, David Cochner's always funny. The main father of the main famous play, Adam Scott, who you may know from Parks and Rec Parks or and The Rec. Nice Place, also a very funny actor. Uh, the aunt, who's kind of this always drunken aunt, who's aunt always Dorothy. Nice, Dorothy. Uh, she's hilarious. I looked her up. She hasn't been in anything else I recognize, but she's hilarious. Uh, she has actually been in Two and a Half Men. Okay. Yeah. She was the so main. She's also a comedy actor. Also, uh, rest in peace to her. She you know, sadly passed away a couple years oh, ago. Yeah. R.I.P. Well, she was a great actress, um, and she was great in this. Yeah. Uh, the mother, the main mother, is played by Tony Collette, who you may know from Hereditary, and that was a big breakout for her. But she's a great actress. Mm-hmm. Um, you always, she has a lot of horror too, which we appreciate. And of course, she's great in this as well. So it's a great cast. It really is. Yeah. They're fun to watch. And I will say, um, you know that the whole idea of Christmas has kind of break, broken down because the intro of this movie is to what you would think of a Black Friday kind of thing where everyone just stampedes into the, oh, the store intro. and just runs over the the salesperson and are fighting one another for that last skateboard the last tv it's not really the christmas spirit um everyone's just clashing and you go to see the mall and everyone's just fighting each other this movie really painted a picture of we've as a community, have lost the spirit of what it is. Yeah, I, I think that's what the movie's about, is you need to strip away all these modern trappings and this modern stress to get back to a true Christmas and really love your family again. Yeah. And that first scene is also contrasted nicely with the last scene of the movie, where whether you believe they're now in Krampus's Nobel Forever, if they've been returned to their lives... Uh, they're just kindly giving each other their gifts under the, the Christmas tree. They're all taking turns. They're all happy to receive and to give. And it's such a contrast to that first Black Friday stream of just chaos and nastiness and the grabbing. Um, one thing we've talked about, the flashback we have in uh, the grandma's old German town of the first Krampus attack. What we didn't mention is this is done in a stop motion animation style, just like a Rudolph Red-Nosed Reindeer or Santa Claus is coming to town, those old Christmas specials, right? There's a little twist that I really appreciate. It really brings that, puts you in the sense of, oh, this is definitely a Christmas movie. Yeah, it definitely helps it in a way because you get the sense that, like, just like the grandma, <laughs> this way of storytelling, this it's it's old. It's, it's right. different. Um, I imagine it was done with computers. Like, it's like a CGI rendition of uh, old Rankin-Bass claymation. But it, it looks, you understand what they're doing. Yeah. It... it it works well. Right. It works well. Um, 
My last note that I have is from the... Uh, I, I watched the naughty cut of this movie, which is the extended cut. Oh. And there doesn't add that much. I mean, I wouldn't pay too much more to watch it. I, I, if you love Krampus like me, of course, you want to get it. <laughs> um, really, the only thing of note that I wanted to talk about is there's a scene where the young son of the main family is offering to share his Halloween candy with his cousins because now they've started to bond. Um, and he's like, here's my Halloween stash. And right in the middle of his Halloween stash is the same lollipop that the Sam character has in Trick or Treat that he uses as a, as a oh. weapon. I thought, oh, that's that's a cool callback. I instantly recognize, oh, it's the same director. And it's a, that's a fun Easter egg. Yeah. One of the Easter eggs that um, I wouldn't say I enjoyed, but uh, it definitely took me out of it for the for a bit was when the gra- the German grandma implies that they are in a bad predicament mm. but she says it in German and the little boy's like I don't understand yeah and Aunt Dorothy quickly understands what the grandma's trying to say and says it and uh, the, we're not gonna repeat the language on yes the we're not repeating the language where mm. yeah where mm. <laughs> mm. and then uh, maybe I'll put a little bleep in there the story she um, she says uh, after that, uh, I'm not going to repeat it because it's also a little bit more vulgar. Um, that euphemism that she said, it, it, I didn't catch it the first time I, I saw this movie, but the second, this last time that I watched it, I was like, they put that in that movie? Yep. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, this is definitely not a kid's It's a horror movie for adults. I think it's rated R. It should be rated R. Yeah. If it's not, it should. I wouldn't show this to anyone who's younger than a teenager. Um, but I highly recommend it. If you like horror movies, you like Christmas, this is a great one. Yeah. This is like the Christmas horror movie. Very Christmas. I don't think we're going to talk about it. Is it Christmas or not? Because yes, absolutely it is. It wouldn't work any other holiday yeah. simply because Krampus is strictly a Christmas style demon in a way. I would never watch this movie outside of December. Yeah. It wouldn't feel right. If you watched it in Easter, it would be very <laughs> odd. Um, and the question of whether or not this would be a good Horror Nights maze, we're not going to discuss. Because it has been a Horror Nights maze. Nice. And we're going to get to that right now. Because uh, those were the three movies that we watched. Those were our thoughts. And now we're going to talk about a little retrospective of all the Christmas events that Horror Nights has ever had in the past. There's a handful. We're going to talk about them all. And that's our last segment. Yeah. Let's start off with the Krampus one since we were No, no, still no. We're going to go in chronological order. Oh. Yes. Okay. So the first one they ever did, you'll, you'll see why as I go through them, uh, was Dark Christmas, which was in 2015. And this was a scare zone. Which if you remember from our last episode, we feel like the scare zones have really come down the last few years and they're not what they once were and watching these old tapes i mean we we don't have perfect identic memories we even yeah. go in 2015 so we had to watch these to kind of refresh uh, but watching them it was so nostalgic to remember this is what the scare zones used to be like and they were huge and there were a lot of uh, little scenes in them and a lot more characters which was fun one of the things i remember telling you is is this universal yeah, it's in a part of the... Where this one was is kind of where, like, Evil Dead was last year. I think it's called, like, Baker Street. Mm-hmm. Where it's done up, like, you're in London a little bit, leading to... Now it's, I think, Secret Life of Pets and Despicable Me is back there. Um, and they kind of close it off for Horror Nights now, because it's kind of their kid area. But back then, this was included. It was part of the attraction. Not only that, but it, the amount of scare actors on the streets was much more way back more, then. Way more. Today, um... I feel like they've really gone down the amount of scare actors. Also, if you recall, when you moved from upper lot to lower lot to even lower lot, yeah, there were a lot the more scare actors on 
as you went from section to section. Yeah, it feels like they put more money, they've taken money out of scare zones and put it into mazes, or the, now they're putting it into shows, like that purge show. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a good idea or not. I mean, I, I understand the pros and cons. But anyway, so this Dark Christmas, the theme of it was, there's a little poem at some point, uh, good little children get presents from Father Christmas, but bad children are punished by the Krampus. So this is another Krampus scare zone. However, this is not... Krampus, who's just kind of a twisted Santa Claus, like in the Krampus movie. This is the very much a traditional Germanic Krampus, where he's this goat demon thing. He doesn't wear red. He doesn't have a hat. He doesn't have jingle bells. He's just this goat demon, and he's taking the naughty children. He was much scarier in this one. <laughs> in the Krampus movie, he he is a. Uh, uh, a corruption of the Santa Claus. Right, right. He looks like an evil Santa with goat hooves. This is a giant. I mean, he, he's here as a big stilt walker. I always love a good stilt walker. He has a few other ones as well. He always has a big tongue. That one was odd. <laughs> yeah, a lot of elves in this one, but they're not... Uh, they look more like normal elves. Mm-hmm. Little zombie-esque. Um, I thought that they, they had an evil Santa who looked a little bit like a white walker Santa, I thought. He had that kind of... Bluish, bluish hue with the super white skin going on. Not super scary. They also had a pretty decent evil Jack Frost. A lot of the scenes I thought were were good, but not great. A lot of them, like there were a few setups where they have you know dummies by the side of the walkway, and there's a little scene that you can watch as you walk by. But a lot of these, like they're just they're doing carols. They look scared, but it's not really a scary scene to look at. And there were a lot like that in this one. Yeah. The characters really put me off. Because why would they be here? Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Even though it's a Christmas theme, like I get it. Carolers and Christmas go hand in hand. There's oh. one character near the end who looks like the Hulk. It's just like Hulk in a Christmas. This is exactly, I mean, if you look it up, you'll see it. It looks like the Hulk in a Christmas sweater. I don't know why he's there. Don't know why they have that mannequin, but he was out. Um... There was one I did like near the end as well, which was a Yeti who had a prisoner there who was like frozen solid. It looks a lot like the Yeti from the Matterhorn at Disneyland from before the revamp uh, <laughs> a decade or so ago, which I kind of like. That was nostalgic to me, but bloodier, a bloody Yeti. That was pretty cool. That was an am- yeah. amazing um, walkthrough area. Um, and I think the best scene setting that they had was there was a woman holding out mistletoe but she was like a zombie woman and her whole lips had been kind of chewed away i was like oh you don't want to kiss that i thought that was pretty clever other than that i mean it was a great scene setting there christmas lights and holly everywhere um and they walk around characters were fun uh but i didn't like love it it didn't like blow me away like wow i really wish i had seen this one it was okay it was better than nothing if it had been the maze it would have been of course better but as a walkthrough, compared to today's walkthroughs, much better done. Yeah, yeah. But as judging it objectively, I was like, nah, there's some misses here. Didn't love it. I would rate it probably maybe a B minus C plus. I would say a B. Okay. But this is just the start of Christmas at Horror Night. And it has a proud legacy. And the next time it came up was the next year, in 2016, when they did the Krampus Maze, based on the Krampus movie that we just talked about. So it was fun to watch this one after having just seen the movie, because you could really see, oh, this is from the movie, and this wasn't. You can see what was accurate and what wasn't. I'll say the first thing that happens, you see these mazes. This was on what we call the Metro Lots. 
which you'll see if you ever do the studio tour, they'll take you through them. That's done up to look like a city. And it used to be at Horror Nights, they had three houses down there as well. You would go get to walk around on the Metro lot. And now my understanding is the Metro lots are in use for filming year-round. They're in such high demand that it doesn't make sense for Universal to sequester them off for a few months to have this event there anymore. So we've seen the end of the Metro lots at Horror Nights, unfortunately. But it was fun to revisit that a little bit. It was fun to see this house again. Uh, you hear the Christmas carols are going on. You see some of these evil snowmen from the movie are yeah. outside. And you can see Krampus on the roof, which was I thought that, that was, was such, a, a, very such good. a great setup as yeah. you walk into it. Because I remember standing in line for this one. And you were in line for a long time, even back then. So you're looking at this scene sitting for a while. This did a great job hyping you up to get in the maze. One of the things that I enjoyed about this maze when we went through it, I don't know if it was the first time or they started experimenting with, was smells. Mm. This one had a lot of smells. It was also cold. I remember this was cold. Yeah. That they turned the AC way up. And you felt that. And the whole maze, the whole house that you go through, it's fake snow, but it's inundated with snow from everywhere. It, and it, you could almost, you could smell this one too, even just watching it. You remember the, the gingerbread, gingerbread smells. house. Also, they use so much smoke effects. It has that iconic smoke machine horror night smell. And I could smell it through the TV. <laughs> um, it, it has most of the scenes you would want from the movie are in here. Uh, the first thing you see is the kid getting dragged up the chimney, which is cool. It's This is made in such a way that if you hadn't seen the movie, you would still enjoy the maze. I believe we hadn't seen the movie when we went through this in the first time. I still loved it when I went through it. No, I think the movie had just come out the previous year, but we, it wasn't like a thing we had pushed ourselves to watch ahead of yeah. time. We hadn't pushed ourselves to watch the movies ahead of time of, of going to the mazes back then. Right. Uh, you see the next room you're in is the gingerbread kitchen scene, which was interesting to see now because it's all static. The gingerbread aren't animatronic. They're just little models. Um, but they have the sound effects. And it's most of the scenes you remember from the movie, them doing what they were doing in that kitchen scene, which was a great sequence in the movie. So it's still fun to walk through compared to like the Chucky maze now that we've seen little things actually moving <laughs> around. It kind of pales in comparison. Well, was, um, but not bad. It's the beginning. Everything has to start have a beginning. Yeah. What really struck me was the variety of scare actors they had in this maze, where you have the Krampus, you have the elves, you have the toys, uh, and they were doing scares in different ways. It wasn't like we complained about in the last episode, like you go through the exorcist, just the demon over and over again, or in Stranger Things, it was just Vecna over and over again. They don't have that problem in Krampus. It was always something different coming out to get you, which I loved. I really, my favorite was the Jack in the Box. You see the Jack in the Box, which appears both as a snake eating one of the girls, which is from the movie. He also pops out of you from a boo tunnel. And what I remembered uh, looking at this again, I remember, oh, they reuse this. Because at Horror Night, they love to reuse their props. We're about to talk about that, actually, at the next few segments here. But I believe this Cronenberg Jack the Box snake was repurposed the next year to be the giant Freddy snake from Nightmare on Elm Street 3 for the Times of Terror maze. And I always enjoy seeing, oh, this was this, <laughs> and now it's this. It's fun to see stuff get reused. It's called Reuse, Reduce, Recycle. But I thought it was interesting for that Jack in the Box scene where you see him getting the girl. In the movie, that takes place in the family's attic. But in the maze, it takes place in the daughter's bedroom, which I recognize some of the stuff on the wall. She has, I mean, I recognize there's a British flag on the wall, so that's a weird thing for a girl to have in her bedroom. But they had it in the Horror night scene, even though it wasn't the right scene in the movie. I don't know why. I just thought that was funny. Maybe this repurposed the room. Yeah. They also had a good gauntlet you go through where you leave 
you're still in the Hornite's house, but you leave the family's house within the maze, and you see 10 or 12 different snowmen lined up that you're going to have to walk through. And you know one or two of these is, is going to be a real person that's going to yep. get you, but you don't know which one, and that's a fun scare. Even just watching, you're like, ooh, it's a little tense. I know one of these is going to be a <laughs> They all look like statues. They all look the, statues, you're right. Which is what really adds to the creepy factor of which one is it? The snowman goblet. That was a good one. I also like, at the end of this maze, it kind of carries over that ambiguous ending we were talking about from the movie, where you've seen the living room, get you've walked through it, I think, twice, and it's been more screwed up every time you walk through it, but you mm-hmm. go through for the final room of the maze, and suddenly it's a pristine, and there's a nice fire going, and the tree's been restored, there's presents... But you can see the evil toy looking at you through the window, and there's one final Krampus who opens the door and jumps at you at the end. So were they okay or were they not? I love that it carried over that same <laughs> ambiguity at the end. The ambiguity is what gets you. Yeah. So overall, I would say B plus to A for me. I, I wasn't too harsh on this one. Now, this one's hard for me to rate objectively because I have such. A, this was the first year we win. I have such a nostalgia for it. Uh, but it was fun. It was fun to watch it again at least. It was fun to watch it. It was, I think I, I'm gonna give it an A just because I really love Christmas. <laughs> I, I love Christmas. I like Krampus. Yeah, and I love the gingerbread smells. The incorporation into it, the gingerbread man. Even though they were static back then, it was still an amazing feat to have. Yeah, they also have so much Christmas decoration in this maze. It looks like someone went to like the Dollar Tree, and was like, give me every Christmas decoration you have. Because <laughs> there's so many just like kitschy little Christmas things, which is fun. It was a, they, they ransacked Hobby Lobby. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> they cleaned it out. They cleaned it out. They're like, give me the corporate card. We're hitting yeah. the Lobby. <laughs> uh, so that was a fun one. The next time we saw Christmas at Horror Nights would be two years later in 2018 at the Holidays with a Z, not the Maze, the Scare Zone which has a Christmas segment at the end. So this one is also another one that you can't see this anymore. It was also part of the Metro sets that we were just talking about. There was a scare zone you walk through to get to them. And in 2018, it was the Holidays and Hell Scare Zone, which was so successful, of course, it spawned a maze that was now appeared twice at the event. Um, but the original Scare Zone was also great. Fun to watch the whole thing. We're only going to talk about the Christmas segment right now because we didn't take notes on the other parts. Yeah. Um, what struck me for this one is unlike the earlier Christmas things like in Krampus and the Dark Christmas Scare Zone, this is all red lights, no multicolored. What do you think about that? It's, I like it, but the music that they were playing in the background was very loud. <laughs> I liked, I actually prefer the music in this one because it felt like the same, I didn't mention it, but in Dark Christmas they're playing like organ versions of Christmas carols. Um, and this one, it was that same kind of organ, but it felt it was slowed down a little more. There's a little more reverb. So it was definitely creepier. It had a creepier vibe to it. And I thought the all red lights also added to that. It felt scarier. Yeah. I like the incorporation of the, the demented Santa. Demented The evil Mrs. Claus was a nice yeah. touch. They had the, the sleigh was better, where Santa looks like he really needs to lay out the Christmas cookies. <laughs> and instead of reindeer, he has skeleton reindeer like in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, but in this setting, they're a little scarier than they are cute. Yeah, they they are uh, a little bit more terrifying. Um, it looks like Santa is coming back from the cookie bar. <laughs> yeah, Santa had way too many, and he's, he's sleeping it off. <laughs> yeah. And you also see a classic German Krampus appears here as well. It's more the Germanic demon version. The 
They really go out for those demon Krampuses. They do. They do. Keep track of them because we're going to keep seeing them. And <laughs> making a reappearance, you know, we love to talk about when they reuse things. Uh, one of the two of the snowmen, I believe, from the Krampus maze are reused in this scare zone as well. They, they definitely like to reuse their props. I mean, it makes sense. You spend so much money on a single prop, yeah. you want to get your money's you get worth. Your worth out of it. Yeah. Uh, so that was the holidays in hell. Do you have anything more to add about that? No. Yeah, these scare zone segments here at the end, they're all very short. Yeah. Next year, they escalated Holidays in Hell to its full uh, walkthrough maze. But they left Christmas out. Instead of being part of the maze, Christmas in Hell was a scare zone. And this was mm -hmm. the one, if you've been recently, you understand this. When you exit out of the kind of the central Universal Plaza maze, which last year was uh, Monsters of Latin America, they have kind of an extended maze slash scare zone part that's tied into the maze but exists out in the open air and for the first year it was christmas in hell christmas in hell was very <laughs> it was a lot of elves running around a lot of elves uh, a snowman reappears again from krampus so i'm glad that that got reused uh i thought the care walk around characters were the highlight the little scenes they had set up were not that great they were mostly just skeletons doing Christmas stuff, like skeletons mm -hmm. doing Christmas Carol. Skeletons with the Salvation Army bucket. You mean the Damnation Army? We didn't mention that. That was, was <laughs> probably the most clever thing they had in the first scares on the 2016 um, Dark Christmas one. They had a sign that said, it said the Salvation Army, asking for me, it's the Damnation Army. Mm -hmm. um, so that made a little reappearance here. They had one that was just elves making presents, and the elves look a little creepy, but they're not like doing anything creepy. That was a weird choice. Yeah, and then one thing that they didn't let go was Evil Elsa. Yeah, the the walk around characters for this Christmas and Hellscare Zone were the highlight, and the highlight of the highlight was Zombie Elsa walking around, <laughs> which is just legally distinct enough from actual Elsa they can't get sued. But it was clearly meant to be Elsa. this is Elsa from Frozen, but she's a zombie now, and there's blood on the dress, and she's coming to get you. Um, I remember she came to get me when I was... I remember you tried to get me to take a picture, even though it says, no pictures, please, keep moving. But she came and got us when we were trying to take that picture, which was fun. It's funny how they have so many signs that say, don't take pictures, but if you go to Universal, you find long videos of yeah, every Yeah, everyone maze. takes pictures for these. <laughs> uh, the Yeti also reappears from that first scare zone. Although he's cleaned up a little. In the first scare zone, he had kind of a bloody friend. This one, he's pure white, and he's just holding some tinsel. But I would like to see him back. He was fun. He was a fun character. Evil Santa also makes a reappearance, but this time he doesn't look like he needs to lay out the cookies as much. And there's an evil Santa. There also is a Krampus here, but instead of being the classic demon Krampus, this is another Krampus-Santa hybrid where he's in the red suit, but his face is more Krampus-y with the horns. I wonder if it's the they're trying to signify that Krampus has taken out Santa Hence why he's in the red jacket. I think they're just trying to nod towards, <laughs> you know, there's classic Krampus, but there's also modern American Krampus, which is just evil Santa. Yeah. That's it. For, that's all I have for Christmas. Hell, do you have anything to add? I think that's that's pretty good for me. Okay. Our last segment is Holidays in Hell. And we just talked about this in the last episode, so we'll be brief. Let's kind of talk about it in context now of the previous Christmas events. So this one, it really struck me how short it was when I was watching only this segment. It's just a, it's a very, I mean, we watched the video, it's like yeah. 20 seconds, very short. It's just kind of like a Christmas tree farm. That was my, one of my notes was that it was too quick. Very short. I was surprised there were no 
snowmen from Krampus. I thought throw some of the snowmen in here, break up because it's just a bunch of trees. What I liked is they had trees that were strung with what looked like entrails, and I was like, this is a gimme for this mm. kind of event. Like you're just stringing it up, but with gore or something scary. Yeah, I'm glad they finally did it. Uh, you see the same Santa Krampus from the Christmas in Hell's Arizona appears here, which makes sense because he was part of the Holidays in Hell experience from the original maze, so it makes sense to bring him back even though now it's being part of the maze and not a separate scare zone. Uh, they have another slowed down Christmas song for the background music, which I enjoyed. That really adds to the creep factor for me. It sounded good. Um, that's it. It's just, it's just too short. It was it, it was a very blinking miss it kind of thing. Yeah. Compared to some of the longer segments in that maze, um, like the St. Patrick's Day segment was great that we loved. Um, the New Year's Day, the 4th of July was great. Uh, this one didn't really meet that level, mm-hmm. especially because so much of this maze was repeated. I mean, it was. It was just yeah. a repeat maze, and it felt like this was their one place they could really plus it and add something new, and they really just kind of phoned it in. But I guess they just did because they bring it back to save money, um, so we can't spend a lot on something new, but it's still disappointing. They could have still, like, made segments a little longer. They could have thrown some snowmen in and had two or three more scare actors in there. would have been nice. They they had those nasty little elves going about, but there wasn't really much. It wasn't great. Um, All right. Uh, That's it. That's all we have for today's episode. Laura, do you have anything left to add? I can't wait to see what Christmas elements they bring in next year. Maybe it'll be Gremlins. We're hoping for Gremlins. (laughs) Keep our fingers crossed that uh, in a month or two we'll be bringing you news of the Gremlins maze. We'll talk all about what we'd like to see. Next month I think we're going to start talking about speculation because every month brings us one month closer to September. And uh, they're going to start – usually they start their announcements pretty early in the year and they trickle them out bit by bit. Got to make people stay on top of it and excited. Yep. Because October is still 10 months away. All right. So wherever you are, uh, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Hope you steer clear of Krampus this year. And uh, that's all I got. Remember, don't feed him after midnight. <laughs> if you get a mogwai under the Christmas tree this year, remember, don't don't uh, feed them after midnight. Don't get them wet. No bright lights. Thank you for listening for, to this production of the Hollywood Horror Nerds. We know you have many options to your listening entertainment, and we're glad you chose us. Find us on Instagram at Hollywood Horror Nerds, on X at HW Horror Nerds, and on YouTube at Hollywood Horror Nerds. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite alternative podcast site to ensure you don't miss next month's episode. And until then, stay scared out there. <laughs>